The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. My wife and I frequently shop for groceries at the Sharp Shopper. The Sharp Shopper is a discount store that really helps those and is a great idea for people who want to live on a tight budget. And part of the reason that this store can offer such good discounts is because many of the items are damaged goods. Now, there's almost never anything wrong with the food or the item itself, but during transportation, it's been scuffed or crunched a little bit, making it unacceptable for sale at the retail grocery stores. Our text today gives us a humble reminder that we are all damaged goods. All of us have moral and spiritual blemishes. Many of us have been beaten up and rejected by the world. The church of God is a safe place where damaged goods can come to be valued and to be restored in the image of our Creator and Redeemer. Please follow as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Paul writes, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the holy and inerrant word of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this bold truth spoken to your church, a reminder of where we have been, of where you have brought us, and who we are in Christ. Bless us as we consider this text together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a community park in our neighborhood that my wife and I frequently take our children to play. And in this park, there is a jungle gym apparatus that is fully equipped with various slides and a climbing station. And all around it is a plethora of mulch, half of which makes it back home to our bathtub. And of course, every time we go here, my children want me to play with them a game of chase. I have to fulfill the role of the shark, chasing the little minnows. And I don't know whether it's with a little bit of age, I'm losing a step, or my children are getting quicker as they get older, but they're getting harder to catch. 
Now, nearby this jungle gym is a park bench that has been eternally designated as the safe place. The daddy shark cannot catch the minnows when they are resting on the safe bench. Children instinctively run to a safe place when in danger. Our children, unfortunately, are born into a broken and fallen world and all too early experience the damaging effects of sin. We, as the children of God, born into a fallen world, have been given an eternally designated safe place at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is the only safe place as we anticipate the coming wrath of God on Judgment Day. By extension, the Church of Christ is to be a safe place for weary pilgrims. They might find rest and refuge as they experience the pain and the toil of this world. Unfortunately, the Church is not always the safe place that it ought to be. In many churches, legalism and weighty demands oppress people and establish false pretenses for what it means to be a Christian. In other churches, people raise up unnecessary barriers that cloud people's vision and understanding of who God truly is. In other places, people experience the harshness of judgmental and hypocritical attitudes, which effectively keep people out of the church, like people in a lifeboat, preventing those treading for their lives from entering into safety. Now, Jesus and Paul and the other New Testament authors treat many of these subjects of a pharisaical spirit elsewhere. But here the Apostle Paul writes to the notorious church at Corinth to rebuke a kind of tolerance, tolerating gross immorality, under the pretense of expressing their freedom in Christ. This a church apparently had adopted a kind of false teaching, something that we might call cheap grace, which neglects an understanding the high cost that Jesus paid for our salvation, which requires of us who would follow him to renounce our lives of sin and to pursue him in holiness. Here, nestled in this chapter that addresses the problem of frivolous lawsuits among believers and goes on to teach us that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, we find here a stinging reminder, a refreshing reminder of who we were without Christ and now who we are with Christ. You'll notice after this long list of various categories of scandalous sins in the sexual arena, substance abuse, theft, idolatry, sins of the tongue, Paul drags out the dirty laundry of this congregation with this statement. That is what some of you were. This was a church of former prostitutes homosexuals, drunkards, and swindlers. These believers had fled from the dangers of the world to find safety in the church. 
They had left behind their life of confusion and sin, but now found themselves confused all over again about what it means to express their freedom in Christ and yet remain a safe place for sinners. Well, our day is no less confusing or dangerous. Many churches today struggle to know how to respond to the bizarre and rising tide of immorality surging around us, like the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Our culture is spewing forth all kinds of grotesque expressions, violating God's law, committing grave violence to human dignity as made in God's image. Now we can address many of the issues that are found in this short passage. But I believe the one that's most fitting for our time today is to narrow in on what, for many of us, stick out as a sore thumb. The problem of homosexuality, or as I will refer to it, same-sex attraction. This politically and emotionally charged problem of our day confounds us with great confusion, and I believe deserves special attention. In many ways, this one issue has become a kind of litmus test to see to what extent the contemporary church is willing to get dirty, to love the unlovables, to reach the unreachables. How must the church respond to the challenge of same-sex desire and its various expressions in our day? Well, as many of you know, churches respond And sadly, a growing number of evangelical churches respond with a spirit of tolerance. A little over a year ago, I met a member of a local congregation, a congregation that identifies itself as a a very intentional outreach to the gay community, welcoming them, offering them a safe place, teaching that God made them the way they are, And they are to embrace their lifestyle without any trouble of spirit or conscience. Of course, there's other churches that respond to this issue with condemnation. We think of Westboro Baptist Church, led by Fred Phelps, who he and his followers go about demonstrating at the funerals of military personnel, tormenting their family members with their message of hatred. One contrast to these two approaches. Paul's message of grace, founded upon the cross of Christ, welcomes sinners of all stripes to leave the muck of the world to find cleansing through the precious blood of Christ for the benefit of our young people, young and old, who are inundated with a deliberate teaching to tolerate and accommodate this issue. Let it be made clear from this pulpit that the Bible clearly declares that these practices are a violation of God's good created order. The scriptures are very evident on this topic from the early creation account, the law of Moses, Jesus' teachings on marriage, and various ethical passages found in the New Testament. The biblical authors and their 
ancient counterparts were not ignorant of monogamous same-sex relationships, as is sometimes argued today that the Bible was out of date. But let it also be declared from this pulpit that this text and others like it clearly call upon the church to love and reach out to the homosexual community. Our friends at Harvest USA call this an unreached people group. In fact, one of the workers there told me that he would estimate in a church our size there might be as many as 20 to 40 people who struggle with some form of same-sex attraction based upon their background, their pain, and the way that they're handling the pressures and problems of life. If we would include the friends and family members of this congregation, that number would be much greater. Friend, if this describes you or someone you love, let you hear today that God's grace is available to you, that our church is open to you, and we want to know how we can love you and support you in the battle to appropriate the grace of God and pursue a life of holiness. How do we, as a church, avoid some of these false approaches, and how do we learn from the errors evident at Corinth? I believe it begins by recognizing that the church is only a safe place for sinners to the extent that we are firmly rooted at the foot of the cross. The message of the cross is very clear from verse 11. Speaking to all kinds of sinners, those who have come to put faith in Christ. You were washed. You were sanctified. You have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All these terms point to the same reality, our new identity in Christ. You've no doubt seen a dirty automobile where some humorous person has come along with their finger and written, wash me. People living in sin have wash me written all over them. Children coming into the house after having played far too long outside need a bath. God in his grace is willing to clean up those who come to him who would leave the sewers of this world to find cleansing and purification. The sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ was a substitutionary atonement, a means by which God cleanses us from our crimson stains and makes us as pure and white as the fresh fallen snow. Paul here also declares that we have been sanctified, set apart from the world to be holy in God's sight, like ancient Israel who was delivered out of bondage in Egypt, to be a nation set apart, to be a holy people to the Lord. So you and I have been called in Christ to serve the Lord in holiness. If you are in Christ, you are justified. You have the legal declaration from God that you are absolved of all your crimes, past, present, and future. The punishment that Jesus took in your behalf on the cross is sufficient to cover you. On that cross, God enacted the tremendous divine transaction 
by which God imputed to our Savior all of our filth and sin, and in its place has imputed to us the perfect righteousness of Christ. Yes, the cross is a safe place for sinners, where we find acceptance before a holy God, regardless of the breadth or depth of our sin, for those who would repent and trust in Christ. Many of you who have walked with the Lord for a time know all too well that coming to faith in Christ does not magically wipe away your temptation to sin. And especially for those coming out of these notorious lifestyles of deep bondage, there are roots that sink deep that take tremendous time and effort and hard work to grow out of. People in bondage must have support from the local church. The Christian life was not meant to be led alone like a lone ranger. We're called into fellowship and a community with one another. And it's our task to help one another combat the lies with the truth. So we are no longer identified by our sin. We're no longer dominated by our past or our ongoing struggles. For the body of Christ to come along fellow sinners, to remind him or her that your name is Christian. That you are a child of the living God and you have a father who is gracious, who no longer condemns you. For you to know that nothing will make God love you any more or make him love you any less. If you are secure In Christ, you are adopted. You are no longer an orphan, abandoned. Let's urge one another to pursue intimacy in a relationship with Christ in fellowship with his body. Several years ago now, I learned from John, my best friend in college, that our roommate from our senior year had come out. He had entered actively into the gay lifestyle. We had begun reaching out to Frank when we were sophomores. He had come from a nominal Catholic background and got very active with our church, Campus Crusade, and RUF. Frank was an intensely popular and immensely talented young man. He was a brilliant dancer, is a brilliant dancer and singer and led our campus's show tunes Broadway musical group. In fact, he was voted homecoming king our senior year. John and I were very distant runner-ups. Stacy, my wife, and I had Frank sing at our wedding. In his presentation of the Lord's Prayer, and the gift of love still brings tears to my eyes whenever I watch it. I look back upon that relationship with Frank with regret. He was my roommate for a whole year, and I never knew what he was struggling with. I regret how superficial our relationship obviously was. And I take at least as much fault for that as him. It makes me wonder how many people in our midst have battles and struggles that we know nothing about. How do we provide a safe place for people 
to get help. I think one of the ways is by simply being more real with people, being more candid and genuine about our own struggles, even though ours might not be the exact same. We can sympathize and show compassion as fellow sinners in desperate need of a Savior. It is my prayer and hope that the church can truly be a safe place, a refuge and alternative to the phoniness of this world, to offer genuine and authentic relationships where we can be real about our battles and boldly urge one another to pursue intimacy with Christ. They say that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. But ironically, the church is strongest where it is weakest, where that church is aware of its own weakness and need of God's grace. You see, weak churches are characterized by self-sufficiency, pride, and are hardened towards problem people. However, strong churches are filled with humble, broken people who boast in their weaknesses and give all the glory to God, resting in his power and grace. As we look upon the landscape of the Christian culture today, we see a number of options. We could pursue the attitude of the old Jim Crow laws. We don't serve your kind here. We can choose a path of ignoring the problem with a don't ask, don't tell policy. But I'm convinced that the scriptures call us to love people, to embrace the broken, to labor deliberately to draw people out of darkness and into the light of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and to benefit from the healing balm of affection a fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, you and I are all damaged goods. We have found a safe place at the cross of our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us labor to make the church a safe place for people worn and weary. They might find refuge at the bosom of he who offers everlasting rest. Let us pray. Father, you who are rich in compassion, we thank you for the mercy you have demonstrated, the grace you have bestowed upon us in Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, to take up our refuge at the cross. I pray that in our lives and as a church body, we might be a safe place for those who desperately need the healing power of Jesus Christ found in his gospel. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.